Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods and practice. In this episode, we talk with Naomi Suji, Assistant Professor of Criminology, Law, and Society at the University of California, Irvine. Naomi used an innovative methodological tool for her dissertation research at Princeton. She had research participants use smartphones to report their experiences searching for employment after prison. Naomi talks with us about the benefits and challenges to this new methodology. Well, hi, Naomi, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. So we're going to talk today about using smartphones for research. So let's just start basic. If you're going to introduce this method to an undergraduate class who had never heard of it, how would you describe your use of smartphones? Well, smartphones are potentially really exciting data collection tools. They can collect real-time data on people's experiences um, while they're going about their everyday lives. And because smartphones are programmable mobile phones, researchers can really create software applications to collect all different types of information from the phones, and then they can install those applications on participants' devices, of course, if participants are willing. And applications can passively collect behavioral information, like location data, um, call log data, text messaging data, phone use information, like how people use social media applications. And they can also send automated surveys to participants at predefined times or at random times throughout the day in order to collect information on real-time experiences, attitudes, and emotions. So these functions not only improve the accuracy of measurements, um, such as obtaining more frequent measures of, say, um, emotional well-being when people are in their everyday routines, but these functions also open up a whole range of different topics and questions that researchers in the past could not really effectively empirically study just because they didn't have the available methods to collect the right data. For instance, it has been very difficult to quantify and to study tangential or weak social contacts and existing estimation methods often capture information only on close contacts, but there are lots of reasons why weak ties are important, like Mark Granovator's theory on job search and weak ties suggests that weak associations provide critical information and referrals on job openings. Um, so we can use smartphones and their ability to capture call log and text messaging data to um, actually document their whole range of social contacts, including weak ties. We're going to talk through a specific study in which you actually used this method, and uh, we're going to use your research, recent research on reentry and employment. So let's start with what your research questions were. We call this study the Newark Smartphone Reentry Project, the NSRP, and the primary aim of the project was to understand the on-the-ground experiences of individuals leaving prison, re-entering their community, and trying to find work. We already knew that this period, or the immediate months after prison, were really challenging and critical time periods, um, where individuals are trying to reintegrate into society, reestablish relationships with friends and family, 
And we also knew that reentering individuals face lots of challenges in all of these areas. For example, there's been lots of rigorous empirical work documenting the employment barriers that people face with criminal records and those with prison experiences. Um, but we didn't have very detailed information about the actual experiences of those individuals in the face of these barriers and how they navigated um, those obstacles. So we were particularly focused on how people search for work, how they obtain work, since employment is often considered one of those key factors for successful integration. So when you were designing this study, what, how would you kind of briefly describe the, the methodological design? Some of the main challenges given this previous reentry research was to find a way to collect information on people's reentry experiences over time, right, and to retain a high proportion of the sample. And previous reentry research used periodic interviews to ask retrospective questions about what occurred since the last interview. But these studies often had relatively high rates of attrition over the study period, and researchers were unable to find individuals over time um, just because of the reentry challenges. So um, because of these challenges, we thought that smartphones might be a way to more effectively follow individuals with unstable living situations and contact um, information and to more accurately measure their experiences given how changeable and irregular uh, we expected that they might be. So what we did was we basically created a smartphone application that was able to passively collect behavioral information about people such as their geographic locations and also limited call and text log information. And we also um, added a functionality to push surveys at automated times to individuals. And then we um, partnered with the Newark, New Jersey Parole Office um, in order to recruit participants. And we randomly selected individuals from a complete census of all individuals recently released from prison in New Jersey and um, we're going to be on parole in Newark. And we sampled from basically just any individuals recently released searching for work and neither gang identified nor convicted of a sex offense. And we also restricted the sample to men. And from that pool of people, we divided them randomly into two groups. So first was a smartphone group that received smartphones pre-installed with this data application um, that we created. And then a second smaller group was an interview group that we followed with brief check-in interviews every other week. And they received smartphones at the end of the study. And the purpose of that group was just to kind of make sure that what we were collecting with the smartphones really made sense given what we were seeing with this more traditional interview-based design. Um, and we felt like that was necessarily necessary because smartphones are so new as data collection tools for social science research. Yeah. So when you were, you know, you're thinking through your research questions and your design, how did you draw on previous research or, or theoretical framing when you were kind of deciding that the smartphones would be a good choice? You know, smartphones and the measures that they can collect are really well suited um, to the theoretical motivations for studying reentry. In terms of reentry and employment, prior scholarship had shown that having a criminal record and a prison experience are barriers to obtaining work. 
But we also knew that simply providing short-term jobs through transitional jobs programs and reentry programs didn't necessarily result in better reentry outcomes. Um, so what we didn't know was just the kind of day-to-day realities of how people were actually searching given these barriers and how these reentry programs like transitional work programs fit into the actual on-the-ground experiences of people. So smartphones, um, because they enable us to document these day-to-day realities of actual experience, um, that they were very well suited to sort of the theoretical aims of why we wanted to document reentry processes. And just within the area of search and work, the choice to use smartphones sometimes facilitated my ability to more thoroughly examine certain questions that already had a very rich theoretical motivation, but um, was somewhat lacking in empirical support, particularly for reentering individuals. And uh, for example, a major thesis is that spatial mismatch between jobs and people have created high levels of unemployment and joblessness among low-skill urban residents. And while we know that there have been these major economic changes and movements of jobs to suburban areas over the past few decades, there's not been a lot of research on how these structural trends really translate at the level of individuals and impact their day-to-day job search. So instead of using measures of official residential address. Um, We could use real-time information on geographic regions that participants were spending their time in to try to understand how spatial mismatch really affects people in their everyday lives when they're trying to find work. As you were designing the study, what came first then? Was it the research questions and the topic, or was it using smartphones? So I've been actually interested in jail and prison reentry for a really long time. Uh, prior to coming to graduate school, starting with my work at the Vera Institute of Justice. And at Vera, we tried following people's experiences um, after jail through administrative records. But it was so difficult to combine records from multiple government agencies. And even then, the administrative records often missed many critical experiences that people encountered, like finding off-the-books work that just wasn't captured in administrative records. I actually kind of put jail and prison reentry, like this research of jail and prison reentry on the back burner when I came to graduate school, because even though I was interested in it, I didn't really see a feasible way to comprehensively understand it, especially as a graduate student. And then in graduate school, I took a course on web-based social science research methods, um, which was developed and taught by Matt Salganik. And that really opened my eyes to some of these new methodologies that were made possible by technological innovations like smartphones. So it kind of just came together where, you know, I could see how smartphones would be very well suited to study reentry and addressed a lot of the previous challenges that reentry research faced in trying to document this period. So now that you've done the study, um, can you share with us what you found? Yeah, so I mean, I should say that much of the data analysis is still a work in progress, and I'm currently working on developing my dissertation into um, articles, but there were at least two main findings so far that I think are particularly important, and they, they highlight the multifaceted advantages of smartphones. So um, first is that 
the reentry literature kind of typically considers everyone to be in the same or similar boat when they come out of prison. And there's not a lot of focus on the heterogeneity that exists among people coming out of prison, particularly in terms of their employment prospects. And I, I think that perhaps this is due to the sort of lack of detailed information that really exists about this time period. But with smartphone data, I found that they were there were very distinct day-to-day patterns of search and work that distinguished people into sort of three different groups, um, what I call three different typologies of reentering individuals, searchers, non-searchers, and workers. And so while the majority of individuals actually are what I say non-searchers who kind of search for work in the first several weeks and then largely drop out of the labor market um, by the end of the first month that they're released, a small but not inconsequential minority of people actually actively search for work throughout the entire three-month period that we followed them, and they search every day with no success at finding work. So we might imagine that individuals in each of these different subgroups or typologies would benefit from very different types of reentry employment services that are catered to their specific needs. A second finding is that I found that individuals were on average um, highly connected to others. And this finding goes against the more common perception that re-entering individuals are socially isolated and that they have kind of fragmented social networks. And even despite participants' comments to me that they generally keep to themselves, I found very highly socially connected and communicated with lots of individuals. And so I've examined a variety of different data sources like interviews, smartphone surveys, and these call logs or behavioral measures, and they all suggest that reentering individuals are much more socially connected than maybe previous scholarship had assumed. You know, when you were designing the study, you talked a bit about the approaches you had used in the past with administrative data and 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 sort of post hoc interviews, but um, did you consider other methodological approaches beyond the smartphones, like web-based surveys or something like that? Yeah, so um, I I briefly considered web-based surveys, but um, other projects that have used web-based surveys in the past found pretty low participation rates uh, and high attrition rates over time, and uh, they particularly found access issues among groups that are traditionally hard to reach. So I was pretty worried that um, I would not get very high participation rates among people coming out of prison. I actually felt that, like I said earlier, I wouldn't really be able to study prisoner reentry with any other method. You talked about your sampling strategy. Can you tell us a bit more about the data collection? Like, you know, maybe what it was like for on the user end, what the app looked like or what kind of questions you're asking and how you collect, you actually collected the data? So basically, when we recruited someone into the project, we administered a initial interview with that person that typically lasted about an hour and a half to two hours where we collected a lot of background information and expectations about the reentry experience. And then uh, if they were in the smartphone group, we gave them the smartphone that was pre-installed with this application and um, gave them some 
brief one-on-one -on -one training on how to use the application. For those that had more uh, challenges with the technology, we also offered group-based uh, smartphone training sessions that were provided by the mobile company, actually, uh, for anyone who wanted to participate. And then once they had the phone, the, the application passively sent us information on the location and data and the call and text logs. And then we pushed surveys to users so they would get a little notification uh, bell whenever a survey was waiting for them on their phone. And then they could just go into their phone, um, access the application, and it would take them right to the survey that was available to them. When they received the survey on their phone, it was typically about a 30-second survey that they filled out. We sent three different types of surveys to them. So one type of survey was a what we call experience sampling survey, where we sent them um, a very brief survey at a random time each day to get a random sampling of their day-to-day -day experiences. And a second type of survey was what we call retrospective survey, which came at a standard time at the end of the day, in our case, 7 p.m. every day, and asked them about their activities for that day. And then a third type of survey was a very, very brief, like 10, 15 second survey uh, that came automatically after they re received a call or a text log from a new unique phone number. We asked them a few basic questions about that person who just called them or text messaged them. And in that way, we were able to collect in real time background information about their social contacts. That's a really innovative idea. I love that. I would not have thought of that. You know, we all know that things tend to go wrong, especially when you're trying out a, a brand new methodology. So so what unexpected challenges or barriers did, did you all face when you were doing this project? Yeah, so, well, originally we were most concerned with the idea that participants would enroll in the study, we would give them the phones, and then they would just leave. You know, the design of the study was that we wanted them to participate for three months. Um, we were very worried that they would just keep the phone and not participate in the project, or they would sell it on the street and get some quick money. Um, but actually, that concern never actually um, came to fruition. And there was only one person out of the 135 people who left soon after enrollment, and uh, and he left for other reasons that were not about the phone, we think. One challenge that was related to the smartphones that we didn't expect was uh, the poor quality of the devices themselves that we used for the project. So in the project, you know, we gave smartphones to participants and in order to minimize the costs of the phones and also to minimize the incentive for participants to sell the phones on the street, we actually received uh, free devices of an older smartphone model from our mobile phone company. So these were refurbished phones and they were about a year old. They were no longer compatible with Android updates. And they were kind of difficult to find among other mobile retailers. So, um, but our test devices suggested that they were fine. 
for the purposes of our study. They were fine for our app, and um, and so we went ahead with it. And they were and they were really inexpensive, and we they were free. So we went ahead with it. And when we deployed the phones in the field, however, we found that there were you know a number of individuals who ended up encountering issues with freezing screens and malfunctioning speaker functions and failing battery charging functions. And we later learned that this was, it was a fairly common issue among these devices, which was, which were why they were free to us. <laughs> and uh, we should have been a little more street smart with that. And uh, because our mobile company no longer had these phones in stock, then we need to use our supply of phones that we had originally expected to give to other new participants, we had to actually use those phones to replace some of the uh, malfunctioning parts in the participants who are already enrolled. So I think the lesson is that there are lots of reasons to use older phone models and cheaper devices, but it's important to remember that they have to perform at some minimal level of functionality. Um, and uh, despite these obstacles, we were lucky to benefit from very good, accessible customer service from the mobile phone company, which is very important. Beyond uh, that important consideration, if, if someone came up to you at a conference and said, hey, Naomi, I'm going to do a smartphone study, are there any other practical details or kind of tricks of the trade that you'd, you'd want to share with them? So one thing is that regardless of whether a researcher is thinking of developing his or her own application or goes out and uses an already packaged application, uh, there are many out there that people can choose from, and that's just increasing as time goes on. I think it is really important for uh, social science researchers to have good uh, computer science collaborators and good cross-disciplinary conversations with them. Because smartphones are these new, fairly untested data collection tools, there are these ever-changing questions about the best techniques for data collection and data storage and data security. So even if social science researchers don't know computer programming, it's imperative that they're able to discuss all of these kind of nitty-gritty technical aspects of their design with people who are familiar with the most up-to-date security approaches and, and to design their smartphone methods within the current context of those uh, technological advances and, and issues. So the, you've collected all your data. Let's briefly talk about um, your analytic approach. I know you you finished your dissertation and you're writing some articles, but you know very broadly, what were the the analytic um, approaches that you used to to actually analyze the data? Like you said, I'm still kind of analyzing it right now as we speak, and in general, I found it pretty challenging to make the most of this very high-frequency, detailed data structure and format um, of the smartphone data with our more common data analysis approaches like regression. One technique I have used, which is more descriptive in nature and pretty well suited to smartphone data, uh, is sequence analysis. And sequence analysis methods are not really a specific type of analysis, but they're more describe an approach where uh, you chart out the patterns of 
some type of data. So in my case, day-to-day patterns of searching and working, and then explore, uh, you know, questions using this analysis, sequence analysis approach. So in the example where I talked about identifying typologies of searchers and workers, I came to those conclusions by using sequence analysis approaches, charting out people's daily search and work patterns, and then using a um, distance calculator and a clustering method to identify typologies directly from the uniqueness and the similarities uh, of these day-to-day patterns. I think in general, social scientists are still trying to figure out how we can make the most of these really detailed data that come from smartphones and and other web-based methods, actually. But sequence analysis was one approach I found that was really fruitful. Yeah, that, I mean, it makes sense. And it is, it is a lot of data. You wonder how to, I mean, the management of it sounds like a challenge. Yeah. So, you know, when we're in, a, in our first research methods class, uh, we talk about generalizability and validity. Um, how do those important concepts fit into your design? Generalizability, the extent to which the findings can be extended to other groups and time periods and situations is so important for social science research. And this NSRP project was conducted in one city during a very specific time period, about four years after the start of the economic recession. And, um, you know, compared to other cities in the U.S., Newark is really quite different. Uh, But compared to other urban cities with high rates of incarceration, Newark is actually pretty comparable. But in this study, it was a conscious decision to sacrifice these sort of broader sampling methods in exchange for a really in-depth examination of the reentry experience among a cohort of individuals in one region. Part of this decision was just based on my resources as a graduate student, but much of it was also based on the fact that other people had already conducted really large multi-city studies of reentry, and while those offered important findings about reentry, I thought that we were still missing detailed understanding of how people really navigate day-to-day in the immediate months after release. So um, I'm careful to say that the findings from this project are limited to this context. I think that some of these detailed analyses of this particular case study do contribute an empirical basis from which we can try to re-examine on a on a broader and more generalizable framework, ideas that are common in the entry literature, but maybe lack contemporary empirical evidence, like ideas of social connectivity um, that I talked about earlier. You're reaching a lot of different disciplines through this kind of design and also, um, you know, academics and policymakers. So as you were developing this, what kind of conversations did your team have about your intended audience and how might that have shaped the project? Yeah, so we really hope that this research would um, talk to academics, of course, um, but also reentry practitioners working in the field, policymakers, uh, parole agencies, and I talked a lot to uh, 
people in the Newark Parole Office uh, who were really great and supported me throughout this project. But I was so so I was really interested in contributing knowledge that would be useful for practitioners of reentry employment programs and in testing innovations and. Um, Inter, potential inter, interventions that would be feasible for practitioners to use. So actually, one thing we didn't talk about, which I'll briefly mention, is that um, as part of the project, I also included an experimental intervention where I tested how assignment to a peer-based group text messaging forum for job leads would um whether that would positively impact people's ability to find work. And so half of the NSRP smartphone participants were randomly assigned to this peer group uh, through this group-based text messaging application where they were able to talk through text messages to other people in the project who were in similar situations looking for work. And through this group, we also sent um, job leads to them. And so that's an example of an intervention that is free for practitioners. It's based on a free smartphone application and can really be easily adopted by practitioners. And and, uh, we wanted to test that intervention because we knew it would be really a feasible thing for practitioners to adopt in the future if it ended up working out. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it's it's nice to have something that's so packageable, right? That you can actually just share with practitioners in a, in a very, in a way that's easy to implement. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we close our interviews by first asking about some of the limitations to this approach, um, because we like to be transparent about those. And then we'll close with what you see as sort of the main advantages to this approach. I think that for certain types of questions, smartphones are really advantageous, right? But they're only suited to collecting certain types of self-report information. So the surveys that are best administered on the smartphones ask very short questions. They're either multiple choice answers or they're very short answers. Participants using these phones and responding on the smartphone surveys, they can't give detailed or nuanced answers to these questions, at least not that we've found. So for certain types of projects, even exploratory ones, this format of questioning is okay, but for others where you really want kind of more nuanced or complex uh, answers from your participants, it's, it's too restricted, I think. Another kind of uh, limitation right now is that they're just so new. They're just nascent data collection tools, and we're only really beginning to understand how to best interpret the data and analyze the data, as kind of I referenced before. And we're trying to still grapple with, you know, how accurate the phones are in terms of reflections of the people. So so phones are not people, and um, the data is only really reliable if participants are using the phones, as the researcher assumes. And um, I think that we're still trying to assess how, uh, what, what potential biases could be related to smartphone-based data and whether those biases are different for certain groups of people as opposed to other groups. So those are some, you know, limitations. I think 
the latter issue you know, will make a lot of headway over these next few years as smartphones become more ubiquitous as uh, social science research methods. But in terms of the advantages, uh, smartphones, they really offer, potentially offer, so many really exciting advantages in measurement and in documentation of uh, actual realities of participants that are simply not possible to assess using traditional measures or that we found in prior research are just full of error and bias. So, you know, in many instances, researchers overlook the limitations of interview methods or retrospective self-reports or administrative methods. You know, so, so smartphones also have their limitations, but they, they open up a whole new area of research uh, and the ability to just document people's experiences, uh, which we don't really do a lot of, I think, in sociology just documentation and rich description. And I think if we did a little bit more of that, we would really for forward a lot of our um, theories about human and social behavior. In general, I just think smartphones are really exciting tools. They can expand the realm of empirical investigation for researchers to consider questions and ideas that in many cases we just weren't able to think about before using other methods. Well, this is excellent. I think it's a really exciting method. Um, it's really fun to hear about it from someone who's actually done it. So I, I really appreciate you doing the podcast. I'm very happy to be here and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more podcasts about other methods. <laughs> On behalf of me, Kyle Green, and my co-producer, Sarah Logason, thank you for listening. And remember, please, give methods a chance.